We're beginning a new series, a teaching series, starting today, and we're going to use the word reach as, an, as a guide for us as we go for the next few weeks. So today, the R stands for receiving his salvation, and Brady is an evangelist, and he's going to preach, preach the gospel and share the good news of Jesus Christ. It's going to be powerful. Uh, next week, we'll talk about enlisting in his body. So using our gifts and our skills, enlisting in the body. A is abide in his presence. Learn how to abide in the presence of the Lord. C is contribute to his cause. And Roy is going to be speaking on that, that uh, subject. And then the last one will be H, heed his commands, learning to walk in obedience. Uh, one of the things I'm going to ask you guys to do this morning, we have talked for a little while about like going on mission trips. And one time we went on a mission trip into the inner city. And if you were with us at that day, we went to the inner city church and ministered down there. It was awesome. And then we went on a mission trip uh, just right next door. We went to the, uh, housing, the uh, housing area called Woodland Tracer, Belomondo Apartments right here in town. We did a service project there. Well, today you're going to get to go on a mission trip without even really leaving this room. And this is how it's going to happen. This, these, this is a uh, grocery bag. And on the outside of the grocery bag is a list of items that you can provide for students that come to this school that maybe are a little bit um, underfinanced and they're not able to purchase some of the supplies that they need that we would just kind of maybe take for granted. And so here's what I want you to do this morning. If you're called to do this, I want you to come up and you don't have to do it right now. We'll do it at the end. I want you to take a grocery bag and you take it and you can put all the items in it or just a few, whatever you can, whatever you can afford, place it in the bag and then bring it back next week. Super simple. All right. That's all you'd have to do. Take it with you. Pray about it. Put the stuff in the bag, bring it back to the school. And they have a thing here at the school called Treasure Chest. And it's a little building right next door to the school that students are able to go to and pick up these items. And we could be, as a church, we could be a part of doing, being a blessing in that area. So you may think, well, I'll, I'll only pick up one bag. Maybe I'll pick up two and give one to my neighbor or give one to a family member that I know that would want to help with this. Get them involved in it as well. And then that way we can spread the love and spread the uh, resources around. So... At the end of the service, when we're all said and done, okay, we'll come up and we'll close and we'll ask you to come, take one of the bags, and then next week, wouldn't it be awesome to have all those bags around this, uh, this area of all the ways we're going to bless the students that go to this school? Sound good enough? Pretty easy, right? Good. Don't need a passport. Don't need to leave town. All you got to do is leave your seat at the end of the service. All right, Brady, come on up. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you for the promise of eternal life through you, Lord. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you love us. Lord, there's not one person in here, in this room today, that you don't know, that you don't have every hair on their head counted, that you've created in your image. I thank you for that truth, Lord. Thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that you'd help me to preach your word today. And I pray, Lord, that you would help it to be received. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as Brady said, I'm an evangelist. And I love to preach the gospel. 
The reason I love to preach the gospel is that we learn that Christ has abolished death through grace for those who believe in him. God's word says in his second letter to Timothy, That God has saved us, called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Jesus before time began. Before time began, Jesus existed. Everything that exists, as we learn in John chapter 1, exists by him, through him, and for him. And I would challenge you today that you exist by him, and for him, and through him. The purpose of your life, the purpose of my life, is that we would glorify God. This has been made evident through the appearance of our Savior, Jesus, who abolished death. And he brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So imagine such a thing. Imagine such a thing that Christ has abolished death. Immortality is at your grasp. No need to seek the fountain of youth like we do so many times today. There's no need to do that. Immortality is at your grasp. You have the opportunity to live forever. You also, unfortunately, have the opportunity to perish to live in a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth forever. One of the greatest truths of the Bible can be found right in Genesis chapter 1. A few things that I want to talk about today is the fact that we're made in God's image. I want to talk about humanity's sin condition that results in separation from our Creator. I want to talk about God's desire for us to turn away from our sin so that we can be reconciled to him. I want to talk about salvation that comes from our Messiah. I want to talk about the fact that the Bible says many will not come to Christ. The Bible also says that many will make false confessions of faith. The Bible also says that many will turn away from Christ. So I have some warnings and encouragements for you too. I love the opportunity to present the gospel in this way because many times as an evangelist out there in the highways and byways of life I get to do it in tidbits five minute segments quips if you will which is sufficient because the gospel message is really quite simple but for some reason 
I don't know about you all, but I run into people whose faith seems to fail them. I run into so many people who claim to be of the faith who say, I believe in Jesus. Like the young man uh, two weeks ago, we were doing some street evangelism in Mexico City. We were in this area called Reforma, near what's called the Zona Rosa, which is kind of known for, it's, you know, it's kind of an area of really decadence. It's sort of the financial district during the day and during the night. It's awful. And so one of the guys I work with went out with me to do the work of the Lord one night. And we ran into this young man who readily came to talk to us and admitted that he had been in a homosexual relationship for about 10 years. He had fled that relationship because it was abusive. He found out that this person was having other relationships as well. So he fled that relationship, came to Mexico City to sort of escape all that. And along the way, he worked for a couple years as a medium, spiritual consultant, delved into witchcraft. The funny thing about all that is, he said that when, many years before, he was in his late 30s, by the way, and in his early 20s, he'd given his life to Christ. So he said. He'd given his life to Christ. And in fact, when we met him on the street that day, he claimed he'd come from confessional. But he admitted that he struggled with the fact that had his partner called him, he was ready to go back to him. I met a woman one time when I used to own a hotel. That brings all sorts of adventures in faith, by the way. When you're in the business of providing lodging you have a roof that you can put over people's head and you get the chance to partner with people like Brady Testorf, you get all sorts of opportunities to meet all kinds of people. And one time I met this woman who had broke down on the side of the highway. She'd gotten off the plane. Somebody brought her back to our hotel. Truth was, she didn't break down. She was so drunk when she got off the plane. She went north on I-29 to St. Joe instead of south to Overland Park, which is where she lived. She admitted to me that her life was in misery. And I said, well, I'm a, I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm a minister of the Lord. Perhaps we can talk. And she said, oh, I'm a Christian too. She said, in fact, I go to my women's Bible study every week. I said, oh, that's great. But as we got to talking more and more, she admitted to me that part of her grief was the fact that she was leaving her family to go to Texas to start this new relationship, she had left her husband. And her daughters were upset because they felt like she was going to abandon them because she was leaving. And they were still in their teens. Just this last week, I was down in Mexico again. It's funny how any little thing can kind of bring up spiritual conversations. I was with this guy, never met him before, just met him the day before. We'd gone to eat supper. And we were walking back to the hotel. And he said, I love my phone. I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, it's got this 
feature. I can put my finger right here and it takes my heartbeat. I said, oh, really? I said, I really like that about my watch. My boys got me this watch and I can kind of monitor my heartbeat too. And he said, well, what's yours? He said, mine's always high. He's a really thin guy. I said, yeah, what's yours? Oh, it's over 100 all the time. He said, what's yours? I said, well, normally if I'm, you know, resting or just sitting, it's under, under 70. I kind of teased him. I said, that's not bad for a fat guy, is it? And he said, man, mine's terrible. I said, well, why do you think that is? And we're walking down the sidewalk while we're having this conversation, by the way. Why do you think that is? Well, I've got a lot of anxiety all the time. Really? I noticed that when we prayed for the meal, by the way, I was with a couple of guys from my team and him. We always bless our meal. And he made the comment, wow, thanks for doing that. He said, nobody does that anymore. So I assumed he was a man of faith. In fact, he was. But as we got to talking, I really deal with a lot of anxiety. I deal with a lot of stress. And I just asked him, why are you doing in your relationship with the Lord? Because I find my peace when I read the Bible and when I pray and when I seek God. That's where I find my peace. Maybe that's when my heart beats pretty low for a fat guy. And so we're sitting, by this point, we're in the front of the hotel sitting down. Somebody asked me who Scott Hill is. Thank you. Scott Hill is the director of Operation Blessing in Mexico. Never met the guy before. But I'm sitting there, leaning against the curb, having this conversation about Jesus how he can refresh us and all those good things. And this SUV comes pulling up. And this guy gets out, kind of frantically walks into the hotel. And then this young boy, maybe 11, maybe 10. Neat looking kid, by the way. Kind of curly hair, dark hair, fine features. And he gets out and he comes up like in our space. And he's just kind of standing there listening to our conversation for three or four minutes. And so I said to him in Spanish, hola, que tal, como estas? And he said, oh, I'm good and I speak English. I'm from the States and I'm a Christian too. Almost immediately this man that I'm with starts to well up in tears and he gets up and kind of walks away. And he comes back and he's like, that wasn't an accident, was it? think that was an act? And the funny thing is, good old Scott, he came to the wrong hotel. He was looking for another Hampton Inn, one that was about 15 minutes from the one we were staying at. I got the chance to have kind of a neat interchange with him, and hopefully we'll get to meet up. He's been living in Mexico City for five years as the director of Operation Blessings. I told him how proud I was of his son for his boldness. And isn't it neat how God used a young man like that to Really, two days later when we parted ways, this guy, really neat guy, he says to me, I'm really thinking a lot about that conversation two nights ago. It was, it was, it was, it was resounding in him.
So, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, getting back to my message, we learn that we are made in God's image. One of the most wonderful things about us being made in God's image is that we have a spirit in us that is eternal. We have a spirit in us that will never, ever cease to exist. And so again, that's why I love to preach the gospel. Because Jesus abolished death for us if we believe and if we follow. I think there is a disparity sometimes between the, maybe the short version of the gospel that people hear and understand when they talk about the term belief. What does it mean to believe in Christ? I think that you will find the scriptures, and I will try to prove that to you today, that to believe in Christ means to follow Christ. To believe in Christ means that you become his disciple and you do his will and you live for him. And your life diminishes, but it becomes so much greater in him. I want to ask you, if you have a pen and paper and your Bible, to write down these scriptures I'm going to share with you today. Because a lot of times we don't talk about some of the, I want to talk about some warnings I want to talk about some things that a lot of times we don't hear about. But first, let's talk about that problem that humanity has called sin, separating us from our Creator. It says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's, talk, let's delve into this a little bit more. What does this sinful life look like? Galatians chapter 5 gives us a good picture of that. Galatians 5.19, please write that down. It says, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, at this point, Jesus had given this warning uh, many times. Paul, actually, sorry. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what do we learn about God? God's desire is that we turn away from a life of sin and turn to a life of following and obeying Jesus. God desires that none should perish. Did you know that? It says in Ezekiel 18.32, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. 
In 2 Corinthians 7, 8, we learn that repentance leads to salvation. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces regret. No, sorry, produces death. A little stronger word there, isn't it? Worldly grief produces death. So Jesus calls the sinner to repent. Jesus calls the sinner to repent. Luke 5.31 says, Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repent. You see that? Jesus said, I've called the sinners to repent. Jesus also said in Luke 13.3, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. In Acts 3.19, it says, repent, therefore, and turn back. I would argue that repentance is not just a confession of sin, but it is an act of turning away from it. That does not mean we don't struggle. Jesus said, you can forget, I'll forgive 77 times 7. Jesus' forgiveness and love and mercy and grace is so much more than we can even imagine. It is so much more than we have for ourselves, let alone others. Did you know why? That's why Jesus said that if you, I'm gonna paraphrase, okay? Bear with me. Scriptures prove what I'm saying. But Jesus said that if you love your wife or your son or your brother more than me, you're lost. You cannot hold on to anything in your life tighter than you hold on to Jesus. If you do, you don't have salvation. The amazing thing is, that when you hold on to Jesus that tight, you actually become a better husband or a better brother or a better father. You really do. It's a paradox. It is a paradox. But the harder you chase after Jesus, the more you love Jesus, the more you listen to him, the more you obey him, the better you become at everything you do because you are no longer encumbered, inhibited, held back, confused, torn, distressed by sin. Revelation 3.19 says, those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. So be zealous and repent. A lot of times when we preach the gospel, we preach what's coming next, but we don't preach that part. We say, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Do you get that? Christ is there close to you all the time knocking at the door of your heart, even when you're unwilling to turn and embrace him, he's always there knocking at the door of your heart. And he is saying to be zealous and repent. I knew, I knew a friend in high school, from high school, that I had seen a few years back. He got to talking to me about his life. Told me he'd been through a divorce. He lost his business. He was very, very heavy hearted at that moment. So I asked him, well, how are you doing with, in your relationship with Jesus? I remember 
when you gave your life to the Lord about 10, 15 years ago. Oh, that Jesus thing, you know, I tried. These were his words. That Jesus thing, I tried that, it did not work for me. Perhaps you're in here today and you, in your own way, you feel like you've tried that Jesus thing, but it's not working for you. Perhaps you continue to struggle in your life. You struggle in your faith. You struggle in your sin. I was asked by a good friend. I was sharing that testimony about the person in Mexico City. They asked me a provocative question. I'm going to ask you. This is a bit apropos for the times. But the question was, so I have a question for you, Brady. Will a homosexual who has received Christ go to heaven? That question was asked. I'm just going to be quiet a minute and let you go meditate on that question. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 5. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 5 in the early part. The works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. Things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't think the question, let's ask a better question. That was a good question, but let's ask a better question. Because I don't want to... I don't want to pick on any one particular group of people who struggle in any particular sin because the reality is every one of us in here struggle with sin at one level or another. So it isn't fair. And she didn't ask that question in a way that she wasn't trying to be mean-spirited. She wanted to hear what I had to say. It was a very good question. It actually led me to go home and start writing a sermon on the topic. Jesus does not want us to make a practice or a habit of sinning and disobeying his word. If there has been a true conversion in your heart, a true desire to follow Christ, then you will follow Christ and you will obey Christ. Let's talk about Peter. Let's pick on Peter for a minute. And I can pick on him because he's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. We read in Matthew, I think 7, Jesus is going along and Peter and his brother in the boat fishing. And he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And the word says immediately they got up out of the boat and they followed him. So Peter, zealous man that he was, immediately got up and followed him. Jesus later says, by the way, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows on this day. Oh, no, 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 Lord, I would never do that. I'm bold Peter. Yet he denied him three times in a row. Peter denied Christ. You get that? Peter walked away from the Lord. He turned his back on the Lord. But then the rooster crowed. Thank God for that rooster. That was a sign because Jesus told him it was going to happen. So his faith was renewed. The rooster crowed and it says he wept. He wept because he repented. And of course you can read throughout the book of Acts all the wonderful adventures in faith that came to a man like Peter. 
John 3.16 says, God so loved the world and he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. So we are called to believe in Jesus for this gift of eternity. How can we know the way? One of the greatest questions Thomas asked that, good old doubting Thomas. He asked Jesus, how do we know the way? In one of my favorite chapters in the Bible... Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me and my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? I wouldn't have told you that if it weren't true. Jesus has a room for every one of you. Jesus has a place in the Lamb's book of life for everyone in this room and also everyone that you know and love and those that you don't know. I go and prepare a place for you. I'm going to skip down. Thomas says, how can we know the way? Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And by the way, he says, if you'd known me, you would have also known my Father. Because he and I are one. Let's, let's go there for just a minute. I know a lot of folk who talk about knowing God, knowing Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I talked to a Muslim in California last month who says, oh, I believe in Jesus. That's wonderful. What do you believe about him? Oh, he was a great prophet. He's a great teacher. Do you believe he's who he said he is? What do you mean? He said, I and the Father are one. Oh, no, of course not. Well, but wait a minute. How can you believe he's this great man, this great prophet, this great teacher, if you're calling him a liar? Because he said this about himself. You see, there are a lot of people out there who teach false doctrine. People in the church, out of the church, people in other churches, all kinds of names, shapes, sizes. But if they don't hold fast to the fact that Christ is God, that Christ existed always, that Christ spoke the world into existence, and that Christ said about himself, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What does that mean? In John 15, 5, it says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. So Jesus is the way. Jesus is the only way. He says, abide in me. In John 8, 31 through 32, it says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth. In John 8, 51, he says, truly I, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. So Jesus is the life. Jesus said, if you keep my word, you will not see death. Let's go back to that. So we're saved by our Messiah. You know, there's some really awesome things about salvation. Did you know if you're a follower of Jesus, 
and you believe in him, that he chose you. It says in John 15, 16, if you want to write that down, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the name of my Father, it may be given to you. Jesus himself gives a personal invitation in Ephesians, no, in Matthew 11, when he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Have you found rest for your soul? Is your soul at rest today? If it is not, I would urge you to answer the call of Christ on your life because he chose you. And let's go back to Ezekiel. Lest we get caught up in that whole mess of predestination. Ezekiel says it's God's desire that all would repent and that none would perish. You get that? All would repent and none would perish. And it says that in more than one place in the Bible. So God chose you not to perish. I want to remind you in Ephesians again that it says we are saved through faith. It says for by, this is Ephesians 2, 8, if you want to write that down. For grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, but is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So faith, not a result of works. But let's not confuse that with godly works for the saved person. Think of, what that is saying is that you cannot work your way to heaven. How many people do you know, have you been there in your life where you've said, well, I'm a good person. You know, I try not to lie, I try not to do this, I try not to do that. Kind of like that rich man that came to Jesus. Well, Jesus knew that he had the love of money in his heart. So he said, go and sell everything that you have. And he walked away sad because he was a very rich man. He walked away sad because he wasn't willing to give all of who he was to Christ. He wasn't. Yet he came and said, well, I've observed this and this and this and I haven't broken this law. I would argue that he struggled with pride a little bit too besides love of money. We are told in Romans 10, verses 9 through 10, to confess and believe which for myself as an evangelist, that is why I have the altar call. Some folks, like Charles Spurgeon, one of the great prince of preachers out of the Baptist heritage, wasn't a big believer in altar calls because he thought it, it kind of gave people this false sense of, well, I just, you know, following Christ is just this one-time decision. Following Christ is not a one-time decision. Following Christ means that you give him your life. Don't be confused when the Bible says salvation is a free gift. It is. It's a free gift. But it does cost you something. It costs you your life. Jesus said, if you lose your life for me, you will actually gain it. 
our God is a jealous God, and he wants all of you, all of you, every part, from head to toe. So let's not let that scripture confuse us. We're not saved by works. We're saved by Jesus. But our works prove that we have a true conversion experience. And there's plenty of scripture to, to, to say that. And why is that important? Because the Bible says, examine yourself to see that you're in the faith. Remain in the faith. Because we're told in the end times that many will walk away from the faith. Again, you don't hear that one a lot, probably. And it's one of those scriptures I've wrestled with a lot over the years. But it clearly says that. It says... In 1 Timothy 4.1, write this down, please. 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. And it says in James 2.18, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to, to be shown, you foolish person, that apart from works, it's useless. Faith is useless apart from works. Whoever believes in the Son, has, this is John three thirty six. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. In 2 Corinthians 5.14, it says, for the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for us, that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That is the point of the Christian life. You cannot become a disciple of Jesus if you are not willing to no longer live for yourself. Jesus has called us to live for him. And that's tough. Sometimes that's tough and we ruggle, wrestle and we struggle. Does that mean that salvation is about perfection? I say no. Salvation is about direction. What is the direction of your life? Christ is perfection. Christ provided perfection for you. But he's called you to direct your life to him and to prove that your salvation is real through that direction that you walk out following him. Here's a comforting scripture I want to share with you. John 6, 37 tells us that if we follow Jesus, our salvation is secure. All that the Father, Jesus said this, all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You hear that? For I've come down from heaven not to do the will of my own, but the will of him who sent me. When that moment of conversion, you've made the decision that I will no longer do the will of my own, but the will of Christ. And that's not easy. 
That's it. Listen, if it were easy, if it, at that moment of inception, which it is a moment of, of conception, because the Bible says we're born again. And if there's anyone here in here who's been flawless since they've become born again, you can come up here and have the mic. Because I cannot say that about myself. I've struggled in sin. I've even had habitual sin. I've struggled in sin throughout my life as a believer. But I appreciate these warnings that the Bible gives me so that I will remain in the faith and abide in Christ as he tells us to do and not be like some who walk away from the faith. Enter, Matthew seven thirteen says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into fire. When the Bible talks about fire like that, it's talking about hell, by the way. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. We are recognized by our fruits. And isn't the world ready for that? Aren't they tired of our hypocrisy? Aren't you tired of your hypocrisy? I know I'm tired of my hypocrisy. So, it says you will know them by their fruits. What does the Bible say about that fruit? What does it look like? If you examine yourself in the mirror to say, hey, am I walking in the faith or am I not? Galatians 5.22. Notice I've taken you to Galatians 5 twice. Because it talks about the deeds of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit in the same place. And I'm glad that it did, lest there be confusion. It draws a line. I'm thankful I'm not the one drawing the line. I'm thankful you're not the one drawing the line. If I were up here drawing, trying to draw a line today for you, woe unto me, because the Bible tells me not to judge others. I'm thankful that the one who draws the line is God. And I would urge you to be careful of a preacher who you see drawing the line all the time on others and judging and hating and saying the things that, that are said because truthfully, the Bible says that it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. I don't want to draw that line for you. I'm worried about my own walk with the Lord. But as an evangelist, I want to warn you of what the Bible says. Is that fair? says in Galatians, the, this is 5.22, by the way. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, against such things, there's no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Jimmy, would you and your wife come up here, please? Mm. 
many make false confessions of faith. Titus 1.10 says, there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Matthew 10.38 says, whoever does not take his cross, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. Titus 1.16, write this one down please. Says they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. Being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. We belong to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.14 For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who might live no longer live for themselves. So I want to give you this really simple illustration of what life in Christ looks like. Switch places, to you two. Okay, let's pretend. Now be careful. There's lots of stuff up here. But let's pretend for a moment that this is the edge of a cliff. Or let's pretend for a minute that this is the end of life. You know, life has two destinations. One to heaven and one down into a long drop, into a fiery furnace. Now, in this moment, Jimmy's gonna represent Christ for me, okay? He's got that beard, got that nice, warm, loving look about him. He's a good representation, right? Now, Jimmy, I want you to take Stephanie by the hand and Steph, just kind of walk across the stage, if you would, and then stop right over there. Just nice and easy. This is what life in Christ is supposed to look like. Christ has taken us by the hand. The edge is right over here. The edge is there for anybody. We can take wrong turns in our life. We can fall down and hurt our knee. Or we can fall all the way down and break our entire body. Listen, I probably stumble and fall almost every day. So I don't want you all to get too caught up in, oh gosh, I have to be perfect. I have to be perfect. I have to be perfect. No, you have to be persistent. You have to confess. You have to repent. And you have to maintain and can, your walk with Christ. So, did you see how easy that was? Jimmy led her across the stage. Now, Stephanie, I want to ask you to close your eyes. Keep them shut. Nice and tight. And I'm also going to ask you to switch places with Jimmy. Jimmy, you switch places with her. Scooch her over there a little closer to the edge. Now, Jimmy, whom you love and trust, is going to lead you across the stage with your eyes closed carefully. Right? So let's just do that. So this is where Christ wants us to get to. Where we literally trust him so much that he, he has total control. In, in Spanish, they have a term. And it's called, estoy ciego contigo. It, is, it, it literally translates to, I'm blind with you. And what it means is, I trust you. Do, you, do they use that where you all are from, Paul? Estoy ciego contigo. In Mexico, they use that term. Estoy ciego contigo. I'm blind with you. I trust you. Are you blind with Christ? Are you able to trust him where you can hold his hand and walk through life like that with your eyes closed? I hope I don't fall off the stage. Are you at that place yet? It's okay if you're not. It's okay if you're not. I'm 45. Officially gave my life to the Lord when I was about 16, but more of my walk looked like the first one, or it actually looked a little bit more like Jimmy was kind of like, Jimmy, come over here. 
And he's kind of over here saying, Stephanie, come here. Come here, come here, come here. Come closer. Come closer. Get on over here, girl. Okay, take me by the hand. That's what a lot of my walk with Christ has been like, unfortunately. I mean, a little bit more from a distance. And as I've gone through life, I've tried to get closer and closer and closer and take it by the hand <clears throat> to the point where then I can close my eyes and thank you guys, where I can close my eyes and completely trust him with everything, with my finances, with my health, with my, with my beauties, my family, every, every area of my life. That's how he wants us to walk with him through life with our eyes closed, completely trusting in him. And I want to do something right now. I'm not going to have an altar call. But I just want to ask you to stand in your... If, if you are counted among those who say, I follow Christ, or, or perhaps you've never done this, but you say, today I choose to believe that Jesus is who he said he is. He's my Lord. I, I, I repent of my sins, Lord. For all those that I know of in my head, I truly want to walk away from them. I truly want to walk away from them. I'm saved by your grace. If, if, if you're counted among the saints today, if you're counted among, there's none righteous. We are made righteous through Christ. We are made righteous through Christ. We are made righteous through his forgiveness. If you're one of those, stand up, please. If you are one of those, stand up, please. Because... I also want to pray over you. I want to pray over you because we're told in the word. We're told in the word to kind of fan the flame of the gift of faith by the laying on of hands and by praying. And in lieu of time, I don't want to touch every one of you. Maybe you don't want me to touch you anyway. But I want to reach my hands out to you. And please reach them back to me if you want. Lord, thank you for your gift of salvation. I pray, Father, that you would fan the flame of faith and obedience and perseverance and abiding and repentance and faithfulness. Fan that flame in our hearts so that we would remain and not turn away, so that we would be faithful and so that you would continue Continue to work on us in that process of sanctification as we go through life and we become more like you. Move in us and have your way in us, Father God. Strengthen us, Father God, in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you.